0: Hi, everyone. Judge Andrew Napolitano here for Judging Freedom. Today is Tuesday, March 14th, 2023. It's about 1130 in the morning here in the East Coast of the United States. Phil Giraldi uh, is our guest again today. Phil, always a pleasure. Thank you for uh, being here. Since uh, we last uh, spoke uh, and you provided your uh, analysis of Cy Hirsch's uh investigative reporting on the uh destruction of the Nord Stream pipeline your former colleagues uh, in the central intelligence agency have uh opined to the new york times that there was a, a sailboat on the black sea i mean this, this is or the baltic sea i mean you almost it's so ridiculous it's hard to say with a straight face uh, that they think might have had something to do with the uh destruction of the pipeline is this the type of nonsense that the American media has been receiving for years from the intelligence community and spreading as if it were worthy of belief?
1: Yeah, I think it's of that nature. There's no question about it. And I think in this case, uh, specifically why we're seeing this kind of reaction, which is idiotic, as you point out um that the uh, the four guys with scuba gear uh on this uh, small boat were able to plant these explosives and carry out this operation this this morning i saw a follow-up report on it saying um yeah they, they rented a boat to go out and do this and uh they had foreign passports but i don't remember if they were romanian or you know it, it goes on and on and on this is a this is a monstrous spin and the reason they're doing it is because this uh a Cy Hirsch report is a is a game breaker. Uh, the The fact is the United States, it appears, uh, attacked a, a a country with with which it's not at war, though hostile, and another country with, it, with which
0: is an ally. So um, you still don't see much of Cy Hirsch's reporting in the u s. Uh, your former colleague and good friend of the show, uh, Ray McGovern, says that the report is rampant in Europe. uh, And uh, Chancellor Schultz is actually uh, worried for the survival of his government, which would explain his secret, private, no press, no aides, no translators meeting uh, that he had with President Biden two weeks ago. And then the article on the front page of the New York Times, the initial article about this uh, sailboat, uh, which followed that um, uh, private Oval Office meeting by about uh, two days, stated differently, the mainstream media uh, and its allies in the government, or put the other way around, the CIA and its allies in the mainstream media have managed to suppress the uh, report uh, that that the Navy SEALs and the CIA destroyed the pipeline here in the U.S., but they have not succeeded in suppressing that report in Germany, where the current German uh, uh, government may be lacking for the stability it wants because people believe the report, because it's well uh, documented. And SAI wouldn't make up a lie like this, and there's no other credible countervailing explanation.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the, the fact is that, uh, again, the evidence comes down to who had a motive. And here we had a president of the United States saying, uh, if if Russia intervenes in Ukraine, we will stop the, the Nord Stream. And he said that uh, in advance, promised to do it. And then when it happens now, it's uh, everybody's looking uh, in the opposite direction, trying to find someone else who to blame. I mean, the, the whole thing is, is sublimely uh, ridiculous. I, I would uh, point out to your uh, listeners um, that Cy Hirsch is going to be at the National Press Club tonight at 7 o'clock and it's on Zoom and he's going to be answering hard questions about his report. For those who are seriously interested in, in how Sy goes about his investigative reporting, this could be very interesting.
0: Well, I'm glad you uh, pointed that out. We've been knocking on Sy's door Uh, to try and get him to come on Judging Freedom, even though he and I have only met uh, a few times. He he knows I'm a big fan of his, and he also knows that we have many, many mutual friends like you and Scott Ritter uh, and Ray McGovern. Uh, Yesterday I was talking to Ray McGovern about the attitude uh, of uh, CIA officers and analysts when they are asked to do something that is on its face unlawful and arguably uh, immoral and wrong. So I, I put the same question to you. You both had careers in the, in the CIA. You both uh, left for uh, courageous, noble, and moral uh, reasons. Neither of you has ever hesitated to criticize your former employer. What, what do agents, officers, in the CIA, do when they're asked to do something that is obviously illegal and largely immoral, like attack Germany and Russia by blowing up the pipeline.
1: Well, to a certain extent, it depends on the officer and how how his own uh, uh, pers- perspective of what is being asked of him uh, fits in with his own moral code. Uh, so you're going to find people that. Uh, who will go along with it and you're going to find people that uh, won't go along with
0: it. And this is, is there is there um uh, an intellectual academic debate? Is that acceptable in the CIA or since the CIA is the president's private army and private torture chamber, do they just do whatever the hell he commands them to do?
1: Well, I think the general bre- breakdown would ba- basically be how how ambitious people are and how much they want to play along with the leadership to get promoted. And I think that's really how it comes down and it, and this applies both to analysts who spend all their time in Washington and to operations officers like myself, who spend all their time overseas. Uh, You, you, you make the decision based on what's in front of you. And I've known people overseas that refuse to do things, uh, that ultimately could have involved, uh, uh, foreigners being killed. I know them to say, no, I can't do that. And they got away with it. Uh, but then there were always others who said, yeah, sure. Hey, that sounds good.
0: So I'm, I'm going to assume that you don't get fired. Well, maybe I, sh- I shouldn't assume. I'll ask you. What happens to those who refuse uh, assignments? I mean, it's not the fast way to promotion, I would imagine. Is it the fast way out the door? I mean, suppose a CIA diver said to whoever his boss is, I'm not going down there with those Navy SEALs because that's uh, a a war crime.
1: Yeah, well, he probably would be fired because this obviously is a a high level operation that had the approval of the White House. And uh, uh, if it were an operations officer, someone like me or, or an analyst or someone like that, you would find out that your next overseas posting would be in Rwanda. Uh, and uh, you wind up as a terminal GS eleven. Um, so you know there are things that you on. Right. Terminal
0: GS eleven is a is a rank and a pay grade right. above which you all want to go.
1: Yeah, that's kind of an entry level pay grade. Okay. <laughs> <So>. Okay.
0: <laughs> all right. Um, is there a difference in attitude about compliance with the White House? In the CIA, between officers and analysts, between you and the folks you worked with, and Ray McGovern and the folks he worked with, and you could throw in Jack Devine if you want.
1: I <laughs> could, <laughs> yeah. Well, of course, there there are different perceptions. When I joined the CIA in 1975, um, analysts and operations officers were not even supposed to have any contact with each other inside the CIA headquarters building. And the stated reason for this was because the perspectives of those two types of professions were so different that they would wind up uh, tainting each other. And uh, so there, there is a perception, always has been in, in the agency, that um, the uh, operations guys were the spies and the analysts were the uh, the eggheads. Who essentially were the ones that were in contact with congress and in contact with the white house so it's a,
0: a completely different set of perceptions when you began in the cia uh was there the understanding i know you were operations and not uh, an analyst but was there the understanding that whoever gave the uh, president or a person in place of the president uh, mcgovern told us that uh Ronald Reagan usually dispatched uh, Jim Baker and George H.W. Bush to receive the presidential briefings rather than receiving it personally. But was was there the perception in those days in the mid 70s that you would tell the president what you think he wanted to hear, even if that meant putting substantial spin on the analysis that the analysts in the field had in the fields had derived?
1: Well, again, to a certain extent, that depends on the analyst. And uh, a guy like Ray McGovern, I would uh, expect to tell it straight. Uh, But there certainly have been other um, people who briefed the president who um, were very sensitive to the president's needs. Uh, You get a guy like Bill Clinton. uh, He never met with his uh, director of central intelligence. uh, And he uh, was not interested in the intelligence briefs. Uh, so, you know, there were different perceptions. I mean, somebody could have gone in there and said that, Hey, we just got inv- invaded by the Chinese and probably Bill Clinton would not have, uh, uh even noticed that, uh, there was a, a war going on, but, uh, you know, again, different perceptions, different games going on. I would think Ronald Reagan, whom I admire immensely would have very strong views on foreign policy, working with Jim Baker and, um, and the elder Bush and, um, I think he would, uh, he would get across to the analysts, that, uh, briefing
0: him, that, uh, what his views were. I'm kind of surprised about what you said about uh, Bill Clinton. I mean, we're, we're all familiar with his extracurricular activity in the White House, but it seems to me he's a smart guy and at times even a micromanager. And basically, you're giving me the impression of someone who was indifferent, indifferent to uh, foreign intelligence and even foreign affairs. Yeah,
1: I think that's an accurate assessment. And I've heard that from numerous people who had contact in Washington with the Clinton administration while it was in power. And, uh, and some of this is documented. The uh, uh, The fact that he never met with his director of central intelligence <laughs> during the, his, his whole first four years, um, is documented uh, by the director. And, uh, you know, so it's, uh, Clinton had his own agenda and Clinton had his own advisors. uh, And the quality of those advisors is indicated by the fact that uh, after the administration was over, he sent his boys around to the National Archive to steal documents that that put him in a bad light vis-a-vis places like uh, Sudan and uh, Afghanistan.
0: Well, we all we all know about that—the famous or infamous Sandy Berger, uh, the former national security advisor for Bill Clinton—literally, literally, taking documents from the National Archives and putting them in his underwear uh, as he exited the building. You know, he was caught. He eventually pleaded guilty, got a slap on the wrist. I don't know if the documents were ever are returned or found, or if, or if he managed to uh, to destroy them. But I think that's what you're talking about. Yes, okay. Um, recently, Nikki Haley, uh, who's running for the Republican nomination uh, for president, and Ron DeSantis, who probably is as well, I say probably because he hasn't um, hasn't uh, announced it. Their campaigns were attacked by hundreds of thousands of what we now call bots. You know, not non-human beings, but but sounding and appearing to be a human when you get something, uh, some sort of an email from them. You recently wrote a piece about this. What are your thoughts on it?
1: Well, this was kind of interesting. It, it apparently was um, revealed by, of all things, an Israeli cybersecurity firm that hundred, literally hundreds of thousands of bots had been uh, more or less created. Uh, in the social media started starting with Twitter and uh, these had basically been used to attack uh, Dicky Haley and attack DeSantis and to uh, praise Donald Trump so this gives all the it gives one the impression that there is a campaign going within the Trump campaign or with somebody that's associated with it uh, to try to bolster his, reputation at the expense of his competitors. Now, so how, anyway, how, does,
0: how does this work?
1: Well, it's actually, uh, uh, there was another revelation that came out uh, just about the same time about, again, another Israeli company, uh, company um, which called itself Jorge, uh, which uh, boasted that it had, it had interfered in 33 elections around the world uh, using this kind of, and been successful 27 times by using this process of creating false personalities on the Internet and then getting these personalities to say and do certain things that create like a public perception uh, of, uh, of the candidates. And uh, as I say, this Israeli company uh, is boasting about it. Uh, and um, so it, it's, it's kind of curious. And one wonders if there are analogous organizations uh, in the United States operating. They certainly might be. Um, so, you know, it's an interesting pair of stories, let's put it that way.
0: So we, we might have uh, a presidential election in 2024, uh, profoundly influenced by AI. Is is there any uh, significance to the fact that these two revelations about with, which you wrote were both Israeli companies? I'm familiar uh, with the Israeli development of uh, software, which has been used by uh, the federal government, uh, to to spy on American partic- Americans particularly zero click, that's the software where you don't have to be tricked to click onto a link. They can get get access to everything in your mobile device or your desktop uh, just by having the computer ID. But I'm not familiar uh, with the use of uh, Israeli generated AI to influence the outcome of elections. Now, all these companies seem to be in, in Israel. Are, are the laws looser there? Does the Israeli government get involved in or support this stuff? Are these people ideological, or are they just businessmen m- making software and selling it to the highest bidder?
1: Well, I would say it's a little bit of all that. Uh, the thing is that Israel, of course, has has is probably preeminent in terms of developing these kinds of snooping softwares and worms and that kind of thing. And they've used it uh, this kind of stuff prolifically and and very often in cooperation with our own NSA. Uh, and the thing is, that this produces, for a very small country, a whole lot of people who are really expert in this stuff. And the Israeli government looks the other way because they considered an asset. And indeed, one might assume that the Israeli government, that these guys don't really ever leave the Israeli government. That they they cooperate with the government uh, as needed and in this case of course we have a private uh, a private guy who used to work in the israeli secret service who's boasting about the fact uh, uh he's got his office in tel aviv and he's boasting about the fact that he influenced the results of 27 elections
0: of course in america we have a secretary of defense who used to be a four-star general and after that was on the board of Raytheon which is the second largest uh, military defense uh, contractor in the country perhaps uh, in the world so it's the same type of revolving door Lloyd Austin is just a little bit more shall we say discreet uh, than uh, these people that are in and out of the uh, Israeli uh, government would the um, CIA or American intelligence community uh, assets have had any involvement uh, in the uh, collapse of the Silicon Valley Bank or the Signature Bank, uh, which we all just witnessed and which seemed to be terrifying the economic community uh, in the past week.
1: Yeah. Well, as far as I know, I haven't seen anything uh, creating that linkage.
0: Uh, although
1: I would be maybe looking elsewhere in the federal government. Uh, in the area where people are fooling around with sanctions and they're looking into uh, people's bank books and uh, assets and that kind of thing, where there would have been some connection with people maybe from the Treasury Department, from the FBI. Uh, It would be unlikely for the agency unless there were a real kind of foreign spin to it, uh, which there could turn out to be. There's a report yesterday that the Israelis have uh, actually had prior knowledge this bank was going under, and a bunch of Israeli companies that were invested in it drew their money out before it happened.
0: So there you go. (laughs) Phil, you never cease to to, uh, perform and educate. Uh, Always a pleasure. Thanks very much for joining us.
1: Well, thank you for having me on again.
0: Judge Napolitano for Judging Freedom Remember. Like and subscribe, like and subscribe. Larry Johnson this afternoon right here, 2 o'clock Eastern. Just Napolitano, Judging Freedom.